You owe me a meatball sandwich. Hello, my name is Will, and this is Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world celebrating films where helicopters explode. When you ask who the worst ever film director is, a lot of different names will come up. People like Ed Wood, Michael Bay, Neil Breen. There's an extensive list of directors who film fans think deserve this most unwanted honour. But no matter who you ask, one name always comes up. Uwe Boll. Amidst some stiff competition, the German filmmaker does seem to be, at least according to the internet, as the worst director ever. Best known for a string of video game adaptations, including Alone in the Dark, Blood Rain and House of the Dead, his work has been largely met with derision by critics and audiences alike. His work has won him multiple Golden Raspberry Awards, and no fewer than four of his films feature in IMDb's list of the worst 100 films. So on this podcast, we're going to enter the Uwe Bolliverse and tackle one of his most notorious films, 2008's Far Cry. And given that we're scraping the bottom of the cinematic barrel, my guest today is a man who IMDb lists as the 34th worst podcast guest of all time. I would have thought he'd be much higher on that list myself. Back by no demand whatsoever is Nick Rehack from French Toast Sunday. How are you doing, Nick? I'm doing great, Will. That was an incredible introduction. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm happy to uh, happy to give you the build up that you deserve, and uh, you know, uh, any listeners now should be, you know, forearmed is forewarned, so uh, they know what they're getting from my co-host on this show. Well, they've already turned it off. They're just like him again. No, I, I'm out of here. Pass. But um, now, listeners are probably going to be wondering why on earth uh, we're looking at uh, one of the worst films by one of the worst directors. Uh, and the answer is, is pretty simple, really. You chose it. So, uh, so Nick, you know, why did you pick this film? I picked this film because I've always heard about Uwe Boll and how awful he is, but I've never seen one of his movies. So I'm not going to get on that train and and keep shoveling coal into that engine unless I know what I'm talking about. So I'm like, you know what, let's start. And I saw Far Cry, so I'm like, you know what, let's give this a shot. I'm also familiar with the Far Cry video games. Are you familiar with the Far Cry video games, Will? Uh, I'm not, actually. I'm not much of a gamer. So, um, you know, perhaps you could uh, set some context and explain, you know, what sort of game Far Cry is. The Far Cry series, it's really, it's all about being a Far Cry dot, dot, dot from humanity. So really, it puts you in situations that tests your morality. Uh, if you, are you a good person, bad person, the things you have to do in order to accomplish your goals, everything gets kind of gray sometimes. Um, there's been five major entries in the series. The first one, obviously, this film is based off of it. And the setup is the same. You got a mercenary that's going after a reporter that he was hired to uh, watch over but their yacht was destroyed the second one takes place in the central african state uh, and there's two warring factions and you have to take out this arms dealer that's kind of playing to both sides so it's like a yojimbo kind of thing the third one your friends are out i've played from three and up i've played so these i can definitely mm. speak to the third one you and your friends are out celebrating in like the pacific islands or it's some kind of tropical islands and your brother just got his pilot's license. So he's like, yeah, he's like, we're going to do all kind of wild stuff. So everybody's like, we're going to go skydiving. So you go skydiving in this island. And all of a sudden these pirates show up, like Somali kind of pirates. And they start killing people left and right. They kidnap a bunch of people. So you come across this tribe and you're like, okay, I'm going to get together with this tribe and I have to save my friends. And it gets bonkers, Will. Like there are <laughs> plain and simple. The violence in this game, especially because it's so primal, mm. it's so, you know, you're kind of like 
not I don't, I don't want to say third country because I'm not disparaging anybody, but it's definitely you have to build things with your hands. You're not just getting a machine gun and and going in there guns ablazing. Like you really mm-hmm. have to be methodical in how you set your traps and things like that. And the fourth one, uh, you return home to Kairat or Kirat. I can't remember how they pronounced it. It's a fictional place in the Himalayas. Uh, your mother has died. You need to spread her ashes at this shrine. On your way there, you get attacked by the royal army, kidnapped, and you're taken to the leader, Pagan Min. Basically, he's a Looney Tune, and he's just kind of letting you know the chips fall where they may in any decision. But this is where it starts getting interesting. Now, rather than like, you know, there's a good person ending and a bad person ending. Now there's like weird ways to win the game throughout. Like you mm. you could only play for like an hour and you can beat the game. Oh. Uh, for example, <clears throat> this is kind of spoiler, not really spoilery, but it's a fun little Easter egg. When you first meet this character, you're in a long conference room kind of thing. And he says, look, I have to walk away. I'll be right back. And when he leaves... Nine times out of ten, nine and a half times out of ten, you're like, okay, see ya, you're escaping and you're getting guns and you're going to do whatever. If you wait there for 13 minutes, he'll actually come back and say, hey, thanks for being a gentleman. Look, and then he explains his family's history, right? Yeah. You both put ashes out together at the shrine and he says, cool, let's go shoot some guns. And the game ends, <laughs> right? So for this one, you only need to pay, play like 30 minutes and and you win. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure that's terribly good uh, value for money, but, um, you know, what uh, just, uh, you know, you've kind of given us a, a you know, good posted history of the of the sort of different um, stories that each version of the game um, tells. But, you know, is this game uh, a shooter? Is it more of a sort of puzzle based game? What's what's kind of flavor of uh, of uh, computer game we're we dealing with here? Well, the first one was a straight shooter, the original Far Cry. It had a linear story. You knew your beats and where you had to go. After that, it's evolved into this RPG-esque open world. RPG in a sense that as you level up, you acquire skill points. Like you can run faster. You can swim better. You can – you know, you're really good with this gun. You're good with that gun to the point where – it doesn't matter how you go about the story. Like the most recent mm. one, Far Cry 5, right, takes place in Montana, and you're going up against Eden's – Eden something, Eden home. I should – I just played this. I should just know it. Essentially, it's a religious cult led by uh, Joe and his family, right? So you have the brother who's the main preacher person, and you have two other brothers and a sister. One brother handles the military side of things. The other one is doing the operational side, and the sister, she's all into like hallucinogenics and drugs. Now, they have different parts of the county, quote-unquote, owned, so you have to go and take them out. Well, it doesn't matter what order you do it, but the order in which you do it affects the gameplay in the world. So all of a sudden, it becomes every single decision you make, the world changes, and it reflects those decisions. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But it's really interesting, and it makes the gameplay vary from time to time as you play so some of these games yeah might only take you 40 50 hours to beat it but the replay value is there and that's where a lot of people enjoy the series and there's just all kind of wild stuff like you could literally drive a jet ski catch a helicopter and all of a sudden you're on the other side of the map or you can fly a plane or ride a horse like it's just there's all kind of stuff you can do it's great Okay, well, I think you've set the scene for uh, talking about the film version of uh, Far Cry. So let's have a listen to the trailer and find out what our hero is and what sort of mood he's in. This is Jack Carver in a good mood. 
in a really good mood. So you are the cause of my recent troubles. I'm just a driver. Jack Carver is a German ex-Special Forces soldier turned boatman. He's hired by Valerie Cardinal, a journalist who is investigating a top-secret research facility where her uncle, Max, is working. Valerie hires Jack to uh, smuggle her onto the island. Once there, uh, they find that the facility is being run by the evil Dr. Krieger, who is engaged in an illegal experiment to create genetically modified super soldiers. It then falls to Jack and Valerie to uh, stop the Mad Mastermind before he can complete his crazed scheme. Far Cry came out in 2008. It stars uh, Till Schweiger as uh, Jack Carver. Uh, in the rest of the cast, you've got a uh, couple of uh, long-time uh, cinema heavies in the shape of uh, Craig Fairbrass and uh, Ralph Muller. Uh, you also have uh, horror icon uh, Udo Kerr and uh, Uwe Boll regular Michael Paré also turns up. Uh, as you may already have gathered, uh, this film does not have a very good reputation among critics or audiences. Uh, the film is currently ranked at number 51 in IMDb's list of the worst 100 films ever made. And on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has just a 12% audience rating. So with all that out of the way, Nick, what did you make of Far Cry? It wasn't terrible. <laughs> um <laughs> high praise <laughs> no it wasn't um it wasn't terrible there was a couple things visually that i liked the only thing i liked about the story if i can be honest is the opening like it just opens and you're in it it's a lot like dunkirk where all of a sudden we're just thrust into this world we don't really know what's going on but we're going to find out as we go there's a scene in the beginning where like uh, they're moving the gun in order to make a shot and it's very similar to something that uh, I can't think of his name right now, but they did that in Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Not Rise. Mm. What was the second? War for the Planet of the Apes or was it Dawn? Either way, there's similar shots that I've seen in this film used in later films uh, to much better effect. But it starts off strong and then just falls apart really quickly. And I think it's I think it's the actors. I think it's the actors. I think it's the dialogue. I think it's there's potential here if. If Uwe would just kind of get out of his way and like maybe not help write the film, or it looks like he didn't write this one, but I I don't know. I just something about the script it just just wasn't good. Mm. Like not even in a oh like the room or hey let's watch this and have fun. This was like I don't want to look at the screen right now when these people are talking. <laughs> like I wow. can't I can't do this to myself. Wow, that's uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's quite a strong reaction to, uh, to some of the <laughs> some of the dialogue you're hearing. It's not a very high uh, testament. I mean, for myself, I think you know we need to understand what sort of film this is. I mean, it is a low budget action movie, so there's no point trying to compare it. I think to to films like uh, Mission Impossible Fallout. I mean, oh, of know, course not. I mean, it's just a different uh, beast altogether. So, uh, you know, I think in terms of judging this film on its own on merits and on its own terms, it's fine. As you say, uh, I mean, it's not terrible. Um, it's certainly not great. But given that it is low budget cinema, essentially aimed, I'm guessing, at young males, the, you know, the kind of demographic who are playing mm. this, this computer game, it's, you know, it's fine. I mean, I think I did think there were 
like a couple of genuinely good sequences in this film uh i you know actually i think we're probably going to talk about those later um you know i did think there were some things though that didn't work in this film and they they do try to add a strand of, of humor to this movie and i really didn't think any of those particular moments worked and i don't know if those were the ones nick that uh you were looking away from screen when you were listening to the dialogue i mean the the film has this um pretty poor um in terms of introducing the uh, jack carver character there's this really poor scene at the beginning uh, where um he's out piloting the boat and he's got these couple of um Mm. irritating um tourists on his boat and the scene it's really kind of pointless it doesn't really tell you that much about jack carver as a character and it only really seems to exist because it it links up to like a scene that they have tacked on to help end the movie um and yeah the humor in that scene just really doesn't work and there's another uh, there's an annoying comedic character who um i'm gonna who sort of dubs himself the food guy who crops up later he's he's meant to add add some lols but um they don't really land um as well and then there was a really strange uh, attempt at comedy where uh, jack uh, ends up sleeping with valerie quite quickly and early on in the film and then like in the morning he's demanding that um you know she rate him out of 10 and you know these two these two people don't don't know each other they've only just met and <laughs> like i don't know it just seemed to me i was i was like what is this this is this is this is just whose idea of joke was this it is i it's just tough it's <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny i just i just looked at it the budget was 30 million dollars 30 million dollars and this is what we got out of it i am surprised and i'm not sure i necessarily believe that figure because i just don't see where the 30 million is i mean this looks like a 10 it's million true. this looks like a 10 million dollar film to me i, I think 10 million dollars being nice i don't hmm. i don't i don't see that either but yeah this uh the food guy that killed the movie for me i i was enjoying it to a point and then he shows up and i'm like oh no I know exactly who he is. I know exactly what he's going to do. I know I know this is going to get bad from here. Mm. And and I was right, unfortunately. Cuz there's a scene where with the food guy and Jack where these two characters are, are really deep in the uh, in the do- they're really deep in the doo-doo. I mean, they really are staring down the barrel of the end of their lives. And food guy sort of decides to do like to pretend that he knows martial arts by doing that really sort of stereotypical like bruce lee type of parody and it's just like you know if you're meant to believe the terror of that moment there is no way you would behave in that particular way and again just the film just you know example of the film just misjudging the notes or the tones that it should be hitting at different moments i mean some of his beats i get like okay he's gonna do this and this but then some of them i'm just like what are you talking about like you know how whenever there's an explosion in an action film they always cut back to the person and then they have something like funny kind of quip mm. or like something kind of goofy to say his big thing was not only is he the food guy which he reminds us again later on in the film <laughs> um but that at some point jack's character owes him as you said eloquently in the opening a meatball sandwich <laughs> And part of me is like, what are you talking about? Throughout the course of the film, saves the dude's lives multiple times. But up to this point, he saved the guy's life twice. And he's talking about a sandwich. Like, where are you getting the stones for this kind of thing? <laughs> like, he hurts his back. Like, I've never seen a movie, an action film, I guess, where a character's like, I hurt my back. Can we sit down? Mm. And then 
it's all of a sudden like oh, I was back don't matter anymore. Mm. Like and and just bringing up like random. It's just I didn't like the casting. I, it's I didn't like that person. And I looked at his IMDb later, and I'm like, I'm really glad I've never watched anything else that he's been a part of, because I probably wouldn't have cared for those projects either. I They could have cast anybody else, anybody else, and I think it would have been a little more enjoyable. They would have sold it mm-hmm. a little bit more. But maybe Uwe said to him, like, look, you got to be really over the top. You're funny. And he's like, oh, you got it. Well, you have played Far Cry, as we uh, spoke about at the top of the show. So I wanted to to get from you, like, how well do you think this film reflects the game? It does well in some areas, not so well in others. What it does well in is trying to sneak around and get things done without being seen, um, to strike with what you have available. Uh, in most of the games, you're you're kind of in the shadows getting things together, stockpiling in order to attack or, you know, sneak attacks or just very randomly. And they do that pretty well. They're able to escape. They, you know, end up at a boathouse or they have to use different kind of plans. They stop the truck driver. They're able to, you know, get that and change outfits. So the strategy part of things kind of works for this film. Another thing that weirdly works is how bright and colorful the movie is at times. Um, One would think that these, you know, gritty, you know, Far Cry from Humanity, like these types of games, they're actually really bright and colorful. And I think that's just to show you, like, it doesn't have to be a dark and gritty world in order to have, you know, the yin and the yang Mm. come out, the good and the evil and the gray morality of things. Like, it could happen in anywhere and any time. So I think that was really cool to see. But a lot of it, everything else just kind of falls flat. Um, The characters... Usually the characters in the Far Cry series are like trumped up, you know, over personalities and things. And a couple characters do that. Like there's a really good villain in Dr. Krieger. Mm. Um, but I don't know. Like Jack, I I feel like he's one way. And then like he he mimics her. Remember when he mimics her? Like she says something, <laughs> walks away, and then he just like, hey, man, hey, man. I'm like, what are you doing? Like – who are you? Are you this like cold, don't say much badass? Or are you like, like, what are you? And then the whole like sex line, I'm like, what? What is this conversation we're having? <laughs> so the character motivations kind mm. of fool me. And then the action scenes, they could have been crazier. They could have been taken up a notch. There are one or two in the film that definitely stand out and, and feel you know, worthy of that video game realm. But for the most part, it just feels like standard action film stuff. Like, yeah. Well, what let's, what were the, what were the action scenes that stood out for you? The one that stood out to me surprisingly was the boat scene. Um, yeah, that was good. A nice, a nice boat chase. And then, uh, the other scene is actually the conversation that we're here to have. And that's the exploding helicopter, but I don't want to get too far ahead. So oh, yeah. I'll, I'll put a button in that one for now, but <laughs> There's definitely some pieces that, you know, add up and make sense, but I feel like there could have been more. There could have been some excitement because there's sometimes in these levels where you're bogged down and you're taking on like 30, 40 people and you have to get creative. Like he does, you know, when he's shooting down the mm. ropes and the barrels come falling down to stop some people. But I think to see a little more of that ingenuity, because if this guy's supposed to be some ex military hero or at least ex military, you know, he knows his stuff. Flaunt that. Show us that he can set a trap. Show us that he can do this or he can do that. Not just like, oh, I'm cold. And mm. when we were cold, we used to huddle together. Can can we huddle together? Like, <laughs> what? 
Yeah, I mean, he doesn't set any traps at all. So if that is a feature of the game, then that really isn't reflected in this film at all. There is some sneaking around, but there isn't any moment here where he he sets a trap for anybody. Yeah, there's no ingenuity, and that kind of kind of disappointed me. I mean, there were a couple of action sequences that I really liked in this. I thought I agree with you. I thought the boat chase was very good, and I thought that the uh, vehicle car chase sequence that leads up to the exploding helicopter. I thought that that was um, pretty good. I liked the way that that um, chase uh, increasingly escalates. And there's also, um, I thought, a uh, nice sequence um, at the at the end of the film where the the, the villains are all based in this uh, looks like this old big you know factory engineering type site and there's a foot chase um through that particular um facility and there's a, a kind of parkourish flavored oh, yeah, foot chase and that was actually very well choreographed whether it was the actors or the stuntmen who were doing it i thought they they were using the environment really well in that moment and um i just thought that you know it just looked like some care and attention had really been paid to putting that sequence together and that just um that immediately like popped off the screen you know perhaps that's more to do with the low level of the content of the rest of the film rather than this being very exceptional but it was definitely a moment that stood out for me yeah i i completely forgot about that i, I you know i'm glad you brought that up it it was after a while i'm like okay guys here we go a little bit of parkour but it was also filmed well so it's mm. weird uve has this thing where he can film certain things well it's just Everything else, like I feel like action, he can kind of film it. He can kind of put you in there. But if it's anything else, if it's dialogue, if it's people, it's just it doesn't work. He's made he made some. I don't know if it's him or the editor or if he had influence over the editor. There were some weird decisions in this film. There's some scenes where like a boat would go off screen, and you know how you'd like catch the wake and you would fade to mm. something else or cut to something else. Like it would hold on that wake for a couple extra seconds. Or if a boat is headed towards an island, that's usually what three, four seconds to showcase. Okay, this is where they're heading, and now boom, cut to something else. They're just holding. They're mm. holding on these shots, and it's not like the music is adding something. The music is pretty terrible. <laughs> it's it's not it's not making me want to see the continuation of this journey mm. and i'm like are they just trying to pad out the film because i bet you can go through and snip out the excess and bring it down to like an hour 25 you can at least cut five seven minutes mm. out of there so now you've popped your uh uve bowl cherry uh you know what do you what do you make of him um as a director you know do you think he deserves this reputation are you are you interested in checking out uh, other films in his cv i don't quite know if he's ready for that reputation yet um i am looking over his uh filmography here as a director and a lot of World War II Nazi stuff. So mm. I'm really curious about that. Um, I saw a trailer for Blubberella, which looks god-awful. So <laughs> I, uh, I'm sure he, he is up to that, but I don't think I'm going to go over the near 30 films that he has. I might pick and choose. Like I might do like Blood Rain or Rampage, some of the like bigger ones I guess that he's known for. Um, but I – I don't know. I think I'll give him a shot every so often, but nothing, nothing crazy. Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't really think that Uwe Boll um, deserves the reputation that he has. I mean, he is no, is far from being a good director, and you know, I can kind of understand why he is 
in the conversation about being the worst sort of director but i you know i think if we're really judging this like empirically there are far worse directors than than uve ball and oh for sure uh, you know i don't um you know far cry is it really you know according to imdb it's the 51st worst film ever made i really don't think that there are only 50 films that are worse than this in um, oh for sure yeah in existence and you know I, I you know and in fairness to imdb that ranking is they're a bit hazy on how they come to that ranking i think you know they've kind of essentially cooked the books a little bit because you know they've excluded they, i think they kind of give a bit of extra weight to um you know films that are, mo- are more well known rather than films that are just genuinely terrible and no one's Probably. ever rightly heard of them but um you know i think if you're going to build the case for uve boll being a terrible director i really don't think far cry should be one of the building blocks of uh, of that particular um argument no, I would agree. I feel like if you're going to do that, maybe look at some of his other films like, I don't know, 1968 Tunnel Rats. I don't know what that is. Suddenly uh, there's looks like there's just a whole bunch of other stuff he has that could be terrible instead of this film, which is like you said, it's just fine. Like, I bet you this is no different than if you put, you know, Chuck Norris in the in the head role as Jack or if you put Steven Seagal in the head role as Jack like there'd be no difference whatsoever people would be saying like oh it wasn't his best but it's still good okay I think we're uh, gonna take a uh, break and when we come back we're gonna be looking at the exploding helicopter action hey guys this is JD from the Incession Film Podcast every week on our show you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InsessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. We're back. And now we're looking at the exploding helicopter action. And this one is going to take a bit of explaining. So uh, bear with me. Early in the film, Jack and Valerie find themselves in a Humvee being chased by soldiers in another vehicle. There's a gunfight going on between the two uh, automobiles when an enemy helicopter shows up. In the confusion of all this, uh, Valerie accidentally fires a grappling hook through the roof of the vehicle. The hook attaches to the helicopter. Meanwhile, the Humvee runs out of road and our heroes find themselves at the top of a cliff. The helicopter tries to break free of the grappling hook, but in doing so, lifts the Humvee off the ground and carries it out across the ocean. The weight of the vehicle is now too much and the cable snaps. As the Humvee falls into the ocean, the cable whiplashes upwards into the rotor blades of the chopper, damaging the whirlybird. There's a small explosion and it catches fire before then plunging into the ocean and exploding i hope you're still keeping up with all this nick (laughs) what did you make of the exploding helicopter action i thought it was great i thought this was wonderful i thought this was inventive and uh like i had said it 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 reminded me of far cry like this is what far cry is a little something absurd happens but it makes for this great action piece they're making do with what they have and it's just 
you don't see this a whole lot. You don't see the car being lifted up. I mean, you see a car being lifted up and carried, but as the cable snaps, usually off they go. But instead, this one, the cable snaps, whips up, gets caught in the rotors, and it brings it down. The last time I saw something that close to a rotor or helicopter explosion was, I believe, when we saw machete kills and they mm. shot this like harpoon gun up at the helicopter. And I feel like the cable might have got caught in the rotors there. I'm not 100 percent, but this is where my mind went. But again, this came out before that movie. So I'm wondering if people are seeing his films and going, hey, he did this right. And then <laughs> kind of taking it, doing it like way better. <laughs> The chilling thought of uh, Uwe Boll as uh, one of uh, cinema's most influential directors is, uh, is has now been well? floated by, by <laughs> you, Nick. It's a conspiracy, man. Anything will happen. But uh, no, I absolutely uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. I, I think this this sequence is the absolute highlight of this film. And, you know, it's a fantastic sequence for, you know, exploding helicopter fans because you just have one thing leading to another and it's slightly preposterous but there is a within the uh but there's an internal logic to it all and that internal logic hangs together and it just makes for a imaginative you know sequence that we get to see uh, on screen here and you know there is a you know within the actual sort of sequence itself there's a uh, quite a nice shot that i liked where once the uh, helicopter um explodes and starts plummeting down towards the ground we see it um falling directly towards the ocean there's a sort of almost like a point of view uh, shot of the camera staring directly upwards into the cockpit as the uh, as the helicopter sort of plunges down reminded me a little bit of uh, some of the shots in the film um, sudden death with uh, jean-claude van damme and we, we see powers booth in a helicopter plunging to his his death there so you know i was you know really blown away by the uh, exp uh, the helicopter explosion in this film it far exceeded the my expectations of what i was going to see um you know in a film with the reputation um, that this one has Oh, absolutely. I expected some horrible CGI-laden, just terrible explosion, or we hear it explode off camera, and then we see, like, this little hunk go, you know, flying off somewhere, just something kind of not as great as what we got. And like you said, the perspective of everything, of it plunging towards the water. The only thing that I find a little bit absurd is when the helicopter hits the water – the explosion gets much bigger, like immediately much bigger. <laughs> now, I can understand if it hits, the gas is going, they look back and go something, mm. something, and then boom, it explodes. But for it to just go so hard and so fast, that kind of caught me. But the whole thing really caught me. I mean, we're what, 35, 36 mm. minutes into the film. All of a sudden, we got an exploding helicopter. I'm like, all right, they're really setting the bar. And the rest of the film just doesn't uh, doesn't pan out that way. When I was watching this film, my fiance <laughs> joined me. And she's watching. She's like, this is terrible. I'm like, oh, it's not that bad. She's like, no, this is bad. She's like, do you have to finish this? The helicopter exploded already, right? <laughs> I'm like, you don't watch it to that point. You watch the whole movie. <laughs> oh, man. Did you uh, – you don't have a confession you wish to make now, Nick? <laughs> no, I watched, I watched the whole film. I know, I know you have been tempted to, uh, to abort on uh, some of the things. Oh, I've there's made been you a watch. couple. <laughs> There's been a couple, but this, like I said, this one was fine. There'd be no different if you took out, you know, Hugo Stiglitz as the lead and put in, you know, like I said, Steven Seagal or Chuck Norris or anybody like that. It would, it's just, it's a, it's a passable action film and it's a shame because it could be so much more. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I think uh, that just about wraps things up for this podcast. Nick, thanks for joining me uh, once again. Do you want to provide our listeners with the uh, contractually obligated plug? <laughs> As always, uh, you can catch me, French Toast Sunday, FrenchToastSunday.com, the podcast, French Toast Sunday. We are kind of in limbo here with the quarantine. We're trying to figure out the best way to record some social distancing episodes. Uh, we do have one or two more in the bank that should be coming out shortly. Um, outside of that, you can catch me on the Lambcast every so often, and uh, that's pretty much it. Just kind of staying indoors and washing my hands repeatedly. As we should all be doing. As always, uh, well, here's another thing you should always be doing, and that's uh, to go and check out the Exploding Helicopter website for our reviews of uh, films where helicopters explode. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, where you can uh, hit us up with your questions about helicopters, explosions, or, you know, or just films in general. You know, we like to, uh, to chat about movies. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com. So, how was I? Where are we headed? There's a dock by the mill on the other side of the island. We're going to grab a boat there. I told you, I'm not leaving without Max. I don't start again. We're gonna get a boat and we're gonna leave this island. You didn't answer my question. What do you mean? What do I mean? On a scale from one to ten, how would you rate me? Two. A two. A two. What? 